0: Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Welcome everybody, it is Fusion Fantasy Football. I'm your host, Joshua, and I'm very excited about today's, tonight's episode. I've got a guest for you. I told you guys I would have guests, not just me talking to myself this offseason, as it was almost the entire NFL season uh, but first, I do want to point out a couple things. Uh, keep an eye out on Twitter at Fusion FFB. Been having a couple fun uh, mock drafts, rookie mock drafts, with uh, some people. Uh, Fusion FFB and Toilets to Titles teamed up and put out the challenge, laid out the gauntlet, and uh, we had some some brave competitors actually take up the challenge. First was the Undroppables. So that draft is done. So go check out those tweets. Vote who your favorite team was. We're in the middle of another one right now with Yards Per Fantasy. So that'll be exciting. And uh, it's a lot of fun hanging out. Look, I know that everyone loves to be all kumbaya buddy-buddy on Twitter. But at the end of the day, I want to prove that I am better than you because that is what makes fantasy fun. So... That's what we're gonna do. All right, back to tonight's guest. Um you probably know him best as the one man band, the uh <laughs> the, the player satire song sensation, the president, chairman, CEO, all of that of the best at work in town, the Dino- the the dummies funhouse podcast network. Um if if Peter Howard is the film guy of data analysts then tonight's guest is the data analyst of film guys he's <laughs> a uh gentleman in your fantasy twitter dms but an assassin as a fantasy team gm he made of host he might host the dynasty dummies podcast but he also may be the wisest dynasty player you'll ever see or hear mr zach read the dummy himself how are you this evening sir? man I am humbled. that
1: that may be the uh most over the top uh introduction I've I've ever received uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that I'll live up to it but I, I'm glad to be here this is uh I, I I enjoy your shows during the during the season I enjoy like the next week tonight like the go get your go get your waiver wire you know beforehand I, like I enjoy you. I hope I don't screw it up where where we've got the you know the interplay.
0: <laughs> it's there's not much to, there's not much to mess up. Um, I do that plenty on my own already. It's kind of part <laughs> of the gig, so I appreciate that. I do put those out, and and it's funny because in season, in season, like you have to just put your head down and plow through because everyone's so busy doing their own it's thing that it's like you, you don't expect any feedback because. Everyone's too busy to give you feedback, and so you know it's it's a haul. I I try to push those out every week, and um, I, I appreciate that. And anyone who who says anything about it or even knows that it <laughs> exists, that's that's great.
1: No, those are fantastic. It's it's something different because everybody does the recap show, and I mean that's why that's why we don't do that, or I didn't do that uh, this year and and in in past years because look, there are guys that do recap shows better than I'll ever do it. And, and so it's, you got to do something different. And, and I really, I love those, the, the prescient waiver wire, like I'm, I'm always listening and, and I'm like, Oh, you know, that, that's a good idea. Josh is onto something there. So.
0: (laughs) And, and sometimes I, I tell you to start, um, all media Zacchaeus for the third time. And and it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, Oh, well. Uh, well, look, it's almost April. Not quite. But it is almost officially uh, Dynasty rookie season. And I had some people like, well, my guy Bruce, like every week in our chat has been, Josh, when are you going to have your rookie ranks? I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm working on it. I, I'm working on it. But look, I... You, you say you're a dummy, but I am a college football dummy, truly. Um, I I have a way of spinning that into a narrative that's a positive, but <laughs> um, the truth still remains. I don't know anything about college football that I don't hear in passing from my fantasy football podcasts. Uh, every once in a while, a Debbie podcast accidentally pops up in my feed, but that's, that's about it. So I'm bringing you on to teach me and listeners about some of these guys.
1: Oh, I'm excited. This is like, it's warm here in Maine. It feels like spring. It feels like we should be ready for the draft. And right now on Twitter, it is pro day hype season. Like you're seeing that every day. Somebody runs a uh, a hand-timed four-four-two, and and everyone just loses their mind. And so, we're we're into it. We're here. It's it's the twenty twenty-one class that everybody's been talking about for three years. You know, this it's the second coming, and and you know we're we're almost there.
0: Yeah. Did you hear? Apparently, Zach Wilson is uh, the second coming of Josh <laughs> Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes in one.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard that he he did make one throw crossbody, uh, cross you know, body. rolling to his yeah, rolling to his left, probably yeah. forty yards down the field. It was nice. It was nice. See, uh, there wasn't much defense.
0: See, I remember a time when quarterbacks <laughs> were criticized for doing that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, and and I, I'm still I'm still evaluating quarterbacks, but we we're in this trap now where Patrick Mahomes has ruined everything because (laughs) Mahomes has come in and he does things that you're not supposed to do, but he can do them at such a high level and he'll drop those arm angles and he'll come across and he'll make that. It's almost like Derek Jeter. Like he was a, you can tell Mahomes was a baseball player because he'll make that throw. That's almost that backhand in the hole for a shortstop pirouette and throw across the body. And Mahomes will do that. And most players can't and even if they can physically they can't do it accurately and consistently and so I think that we're we're in that trap where you see a guy do I mean it it was it was that way with Darnold I mean even though Mahomes wasn't uh, established when when Darnold came in it, it was the same idea where Darnold will make a play down the field and you're like holy cow that was incredible and you you get sucked in and then his next three throws you're like Holy cow, that was incredible. You know, like they're just terrible. Like <laughs> y- you don't know what he was doing and and so I think that's that's the trap we fall in looking for the next Mahomes. It's the same trap that we fall in looking uh for the next Tyreek Hill. It's those it's those guys who do it with athleticism and do things that you shouldn't be able to do that no one else can do. And and we get caught, you know, trying to make the next guy be that player
0: do any of this year's quarterbacks were any of them like drafted baseball players because we've got russell wilson (laughs) we've got kyler murray and we got patrick mahomes so i guess i mean you just you just gave away the secret we need to find the the baseball player quarterback
1: that that's it although although it was uh Man, I can't remember the third baseman that, that played with Brady at Michigan, but he was drafted by the Yankees and then Brady became, you know, the the, the best quarterback in history. So I don't I don't know. Maybe the baseball thing doesn't always work out, but seventy five percent. That's that's you know, we we our, our 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 value is, is really high there.
0: That that's <laughs> a better metric than anything I've found in any of my spreadsheets so far. <laughs> so I need to add that. Years played at baseball or or drafted, you know. <laughs> I need to find a way to get that into my spreadsheets. But I don't want to talk about quarterbacks because I I, I know Good. enough to know <laughs> that no one knows. So let's talk about something we have a chance of knowing. And look, even though I said I'm a dummy, I, I do listen. That's what I say around here. I'm not a genius. I just try and pay attention. So it's pretty hard for anyone these days paying attention at all to not have heard about the top names at wide receiver in this year's class who are the members of that top tier and let's just identify them and then we're gonna and then we're gonna set them to the side but let's you know (laughs) mention who who we're not going to be talking about so i think
1: for me There is like a top tier and then a one second like a one player second tier, but most people I hear talking have them all as a conglomerate. And so it's it's gonna be Jamar Chase and Rondell Moore and Devontae Smith and Rashad Bateman are those players that everybody is talking about and everybody has been talking about for a couple years now.
0: Right. So we're not gonna talk about them <laughs> because I, I'm tired of it already. Um and also because I was I was thinking about it, and like I mentioned in the introduction, we're doing these these rookie mock drafts, and I've listened to you and J Mike going over your receivers and talking about all of these guys, but I came away still unsure of how they were different from one another like if you put them in a lineup and ask me which one is Amon Ross St. Brown I'd (laughs) have a 50-50 or worse chance of pointing them out I probably will end up pointing at Diami Brown or somebody I don't know what makes them different from one another and to me that is is kind of what matters not just somebody telling me well this guy's better than that guy I actually want to be able to uh, know what makes this player stand out what's unique about him about any of these players when I go to decide between them so um, I don't really care what order we talk about him but it, it, and it, it kind of reminds me like last year we had the top guys it was, it was again it was the same thing we had four guys right sometimes rugs was in there maybe some people yeah <laughs> i think i did have him generally as fourth just at a concession but I'm, I'm i'm starting to really say i gotta fade the draft capital well so
1: maybe this is the jumping off point because yeah. it's it's fade the draft capital but on specific types of players. And and I think that and, and and this wasn't a player that I had had lined up to talk about, but we're going to start off with Kadarius Tony. Because I think that he's going to be one of those players that's going to be that trap this year. Uh Kadarius Tony looks like he should be a superior athlete uh and the NFL is going to love his speed. They're going to love that ability once he's got the ball in space to, to house it. And, and maybe Jalen Waddle falls in this same group too, because I think the NFL falls in love with players who are really fast and, and maybe the reason we should fade them as fantasy players, when somebody like Ruggs gets drafted highly, when somebody like John Ross gets drafted highly, uh, when, when Kadarius Tony, when, when Jalen Waddle get drafted highly, Because the NFL is looking for players that make their NFL team better. That doesn't always translate to fantasy points. And and I think that that's something that sometimes we lose. And sometimes when you're doing analysis of a draft class or you're listening to analysis of a draft class, you need to be paying attention whether or not that analysis is being done through a lens of NFL. Because rugs will be fantastic for the Raiders. Because he can he can run, you know, fifteen or twenty routes where he's running a nine route, and he's pulling that safety deeper, which leaves the middle of the field exposed. Which means then somebody can work in underneath. You know, it, it leaves it leaves lanes for their tight end. It leaves lanes for the guys coming out of the slot. Next year, I think it leaves uh, openings for Brian Edwards. But it doesn't necessarily translate to fantasy points unless. He gets behind the defense and gets a good throw and catches it and scores a touchdown like he did against the Jets. Like that's – it doesn't always translate NFL success to fantasy success because the NFL is worried about winning games. The NFL is worried about, you know, what what pieces fit in their team – to give them the best chance to win. And it's not always driving targets to a player like Henry Ruggs. It's not always driving targets to a player like Kadarius Tony. It's the uh, the the threat of a player like that getting over the top and, and wreaking havoc on your defense that creates space for other players. And so I think that is – I mean, it really becomes not fading draft capital, but fading – uh, types of players, draft capital. So if, you know, uh, again, Jalen Waddle maybe maybe is different than Rugs maybe, but but to me, I see him very similar. Uh, I, I think that he has speed. He has the ability to change speeds, which was a little bit different than Rugs, but he does get bothered by traffic, which means he's going to be a deep guy. Got to get good release. Got to get over the top. Uh, and and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing that type of player, and the, the same thing with Kadarius Tony. Very fast. wants the ball in his hands, man, he's he's dangerous. But you know, he's not quite that. Uh, he couldn't he couldn't outplay Freddie Swain and Van Jefferson at Florida. Like, so you're telling me that that guy, because he's fast, is going to come in and be a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two on an NFL team when he couldn't do it at Florida with with Van Jefferson and Freddie Swain, and then he really wasn't the wide receiver one there this year because Kyle Pitts was? Like, those are the types of things that that just give me a little bit of pause with draft capital because you know as well as I do, draft capital is the best predictor of uh, whether or not you're going to have fantasy success because draft capital drives uh, – drives playing time because you don't spend a high pick on a guy. You're not going to play. So it drives opportunity and opportunity drives uh, production.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned those two guys right off the bat, because I'll be completely honest. They had not entered my mind at all. (laughs) When I was thinking about the next group of guys that I was saying is blurry to me. Um, But for the sake of the listeners, that's probably really good to bring up. Um, because yeah, I've been kind of fading waddle looking yeah. at what I look at the Tony one just seems obvious, but, <laughs> but yes, but for everything, he's going to he be he a said, first round
1: pick. I guess he, he is. And, and, and so you're going to have people say, and and I had this last year when cause I had rugs as, uh, in, in, in non super flex leagues, I had rugs at like. 11 or 12 and and that was that was me conceding that he was a first round pick in the nfl draft and he needed to be even though i i didn't like it but at least but i had people say you're way too low on him because he's going to be a first round pick and i'm like no because he's not he's not driving volume and i want players who drive volume or are going to be hellacious red zone targets. So, so somebody like T. Higgins is that player who can. I mean, he wins on back shoulder, like sideline back shoulder, making those plays. Those are those are successful in the red zone. I like that. Uh, a guy like Justin Jefferson, who was a, a slot a slot player. I mean, that was what everybody knocked him as. And I said, I'm watching him. I'm like, he creates so much separation, and he attacks zone so well that it doesn't matter that he's a slot player because he's going to drive volume and is going to produce. I didn't expect him to be, you know, the the greatest rookie receiver of all time, but he's also the second highest film grade that I've had in the last 6 years. Uh so like I, I was on him. Um but but that's the that's the difference is you're looking for guys who want who drive volume or drive targets in the red zone. You, you you're not looking for a guy who's a a, a between the twenties player who's a, a field stretcher who's going to get forty targets a year because it just doesn't have the juice for fantasy football.
0: And at least with Henry Ruggs, you had that narrative of his competition was being <laughs> was so good, and he was efficient with what he was getting, and he was you know looked like an explosive, exciting player if he just got more of that volume but it's not his fault he was playing with such other good (laughs) receivers but you don't even have that with Kadarius tony like you're talking about van jefferson and freddie swain like you don't even have that narrative with him so that's why to me even more obvious waddle is the one that definitely can kind of have that narrative right he's on this he was on the same team as devonta smith yep okay so you like told you Call it. Uh, I say these things. Call it football, and I'm fear when I say them out loud because it's quite possible <laughs> it's wrong. Um, all right. So yeah, he has that going for him that you could maybe blame uh, Devonta Smith, but well, that's a whole different. That's a whole different uh, avenue we could go down. Well, I was going to so, say that's
1: the that's the that's the Smith Rugs Judy uh, Waddle
0: Judy yeah
1: Calvin Ridley like that whole group and it's but not so you mentioned Peter Howard earlier in the in the open and he would be screaming at this because he has disproven the the teammate you know effect to the point where he's like look if you're good you yes. get the ball even if there are good players around you if you're good you get the ball when Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry were at LSU together they both got the ball a ton because they are good and and that's How I mean, that's how this works. It's very simple. It's Occam's razor. The simplest solution is usually the right one. It's if you're good, you will get targets. If you're better than a player, you will get more targets. And that's just how this works.
0: So there's another group of guys here after Tony, after we, you know, dodged the Tony trap (laughs) and the, the, the waddle puddle, right. And (laughs) To me, there's four guys that I, I'm thinking of. At least four guys that are. Now that you say it, I I know why Higgins and Pittman from last year came to mind because they're all in this like six foot to six foot two, two hundred ish pounds, like decent speed. I I don't know how they're different. I didn't know how Higgins and Pittman were different even all the way through the whole year, because I didn't have you on my podcast last (laughs) offseason to tell me the difference. So that's why I've got you. I'm thinking of, and and add any names here, but I'm thinking of Tylen Wallace, Terrence Marshall, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Diami Brown. These four, to me, give me the biggest trouble. So pick whichever one you want, whatever order we want to go in here, and help me understand how they are different and what they do that sets them apart.
1: So I have a question. Are you, are you not puzzled by uh, Elijah Moore? Are are you just on Elijah Moore? Are we like, can we just like wade past that? Cause he's my fifth.
0: I did see that. And I do want to hear about that. But from my understanding of who he is as a player, he does not blur with these other ones. Okay. As much is that fair? Am I correct? At least close. Yeah,
1: I think that I think that he is uh, more similar to Amon Ross St. Brown as a player uh, than than these other guys. So, like, yeah, Tylen Wallace, Deami Brown, uh, and and Terrace Marshall are the the bigger ish, more traditional, go down the field type receivers. Uh, to me, Elijah Moore and Amin Ross St. Brown are not necessarily those guys.
0: Okay, then let's go three, and then two, and still, and we'll make it five. Five guys. I need to. I needed to go to school for right here.
1: Perfect. Let's let's roll off with uh, Deami Brown then. Okay. So great. Deami Brown is, I think, the next X receiver. Uh, down from Jamar Chase in this class. And you're going to get a little bit of pushback because he's not quite as big, and he played in the ACC. He played at North Carolina. And, you know, okay, I'll I'll concede that. He's 6'1", he's 185. But the things I'm looking for in a guy playing the X. So so when we talk about X receiver, you're talking about the, the wide receiver who's split out on the side all on his own on the island. Okay, so he's more likely to get pressed. And so one of the things that I'm looking for is can a player who's playing out on that X, out on that island, uh, get off press coverage? So when, it, when a corner comes up and jams him, can he do that? And De'Ami Brown can. Diami Brown has three distinct moves off of press. He can hand fight. He's got a really good jab, and he's got a hesitation. And he'll also combine those. Uh, so so, it's not just like okay, I've got three moves and I've got to pick one. You know, he'll use that hesitation and then the jab and then be gone, or he'll use that hesitation, draw the defender in and then push him and then be gone. And and so those are things that I look for. It was one of the one of the real big uh, checks in DK Metcalf a couple of years ago. Was you looked at what he did against press and you were like, man, you can't get up on him because he'll beat you at the line. And so now that gives him an advantage because you either get beat off the line or you get a free release. De'Ami Brown, again, three distinct moves off press. He's very good against zone, but he's even better against man where he can he uses double moves. He gets over the top. He'll stack up a defender once he beats him, which means he uses his body between the defender and the ball. Um, the drawbacks, though, De'Ami Brown does drop. Balls. I mean, that's that's one of the things that you're going to see with him. I think drops are overblown, especially when you're looking at guys who catch the ball downfield. When you're looking at air yards, you're looking at that that distance of target. You know, you're not going to complete as as often because it's a tougher throw and a tougher catch. But when you do, there's a bigger payoff. The other thing uh, that I don't like about Deami Brown is sometimes he double catches. So he'll kind of clap at the ball. If you don't get it clean, NFL corners are pretty solid. Uh, NFL safeties, they'll come and hit you and knock the ball out. But I really like Diami Brown is is up there for me. Uh, I've got him as my six, and that's not a type of receiver that I generally uh, value as highly. So w- when I'm looking at receivers, I'm I, I'm a sucker for a slot. Like I, I like the guys that are in close to the line of scrimmage that drive those those targets. So guys that are getting 120, 125, 130, 140 targets in close to the line of scrimmage, and then can make things happen with their legs. This is not Deami Brown. Deami Brown is going to be a downfield player, you know, a more traditional X receiver, but a good one. Now we go to now, hold somebody on. like oh, okay.
0: I do want to summarize here this is how i work and maybe if anyone's listening it'll help them so i'm hearing that <laughs> i'm taking notes people I hope you're out there taking notes so he's he's the next best x receiver after chase he can beat press coverage a number of ways three ways you listed not that it, that meant anything to me uh <laughs> he's he's good versus zone great versus man but on the cons he's got drops which are can be overrated but combined with the double catching is a little bit concerning but he's just even though he's a little bit undersized he's just so fast and technically good that he can still succeed down the sideline. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> next.
1: You you're spot on. Um so Terrence Marshall Will be the next guy that that we talk about, and I have him rated a little lower. And by a little lower, I mean he's not in my top twelve. Uh, he may sneak in there with draft capital, because if an NFL team spends a, a first three round, so a, a, a day one or day two pick on Terrace Marshall, then I've got to reevaluate because that's that's a team telling me that they're going to put him in, they're going to throw him the ball, and he was he was good at LSU. This past year, Uh, it was a shortened season, but he had 48 catches over 700 yards, 10 touchdowns last year uh, when everybody was there. You had Justin Jefferson, you had Jamar Chase. He had 13 touchdowns with with that group, uh, even though it was like the most explosive offense in the history of of college football. So, you know, take the 13 touchdowns with a grain of salt. Uh, But Terrace Marshall is really good uh he uses his size and speed to get open often over the top of defenses when he gets a free release he's he's decent he can get up to speed quickly he'll beat defenders with double moves and he he gets enough of a separation window to get targets which is what you're looking for with with a big receiver down the field i think the the problem though to me is even though he moved primarily to an outside role this past year because Jamar Chase opted out and you had Justin Jefferson gone to the NFL, Marshall sometimes struggles when he's pressed, which if you're looking at an X receiver you're looking at that guy out on an island, you want him to be able to get off press coverage. So his go-to move to avoid being jammed is a jab step, but it often turns into kind of a, an unneeded like double step, like a hitch, and so he's slow to get off the line of scrimmage. He also has a tendency to do this thing where he gets really nonchalant uh, at the top of routes, and he slows down before he cuts, which is not a great thing, especially if you're you know six three, two hundred pounds. You're not moving, you know, like you're not moving like Ronda Moore as it is. So um, that's something. And then the other part about uh, Terrace Marshall. That is a little bit concerning is when he uh ended his season this year, Kayshawn Booty came in and outplayed Terrace Marshall. Uh, you know, what terrace marshall did in the first half of the season for the last four games against better competition. And so that is one of those, you know, that that kind of makes me pause. Was Terrace Marshall in there? because everybody else was gone and that's why he performed? Or or is he for real? And so my, my hesitation on him is, I don't think he's quite for real.
0: Okay. So this is a little bit of a question mark. Was he just out there catching, being big, catching touchdowns? I'm I'm having horrible, nightmarish flashbacks of uh, Nikhil Harry as you speak. <laughs> so, let's go to the next one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we got uh, Tylen Wallace. Was he? He was the uh, the other big guy that we were talking about. So Wallace is uh, really physical. And he's physical at both uh, high pointing the ball and post catch, which is is nice. He plays bigger than he is. So he's he's six foot one ninety, but he feels like he's a, a bigger. He feels like he's Terrace Marshall size. He feels like he's six two, six three. You know, goes up and high points the ball. So when you're talking high point, you're talking about uh, when there's a jump ball situation. Where the cornerback and the receiver are both going vertical for the ball. He's really good at at kind of boxing out, making that play. Um, he also is, and this is not something you would think about for for fantasy, but it it actually does matter. He's a great blocker. And that will get you on the field, and it will it will endear you to your teammates because he's a he's a player that will uh, put a corner on his rear end. Uh, if if there's a run his way, and he's also a guy who will get out in front of another receiver who's made a catch to block downfield, I I really like that. And and he actually is he's not I wouldn't say he's fast, but he's really subtle with his routes, and he's able to get over the top. You know, which is which is what one of these things we're looking for with this type of player. The the issues I think with Tylen Wallace or he got used at the line of scrimmage an awful lot. Uh so I think part of that was to hide his inability to get off press and part of that was because Oklahoma State like that was that was kind of how they tried to you know uh, 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 hide their quarterback, I guess, like kind of make things easier, get the ball out quick. Tyler Wallace is not a a bubble screen type player he just isn't he doesn't have that short area quickness he's really physical but you know he's not going to make that little like Jarvis Landry catch the ball four yards uh ahead of the line of scrimmage and then tack on seven like he's just not going to do that uh and he also lets the ball travel on him so when when I watch uh wide receivers I'm looking for guys that we we say hands catch So yeah, everybody catches the ball with their hands, Zach, like, no. But what I mean is you're getting your hands out and catching the ball before it gets in on your body. And the reason that's important is is twofold, because when you catch the ball out here, you've got some cushion and then you can bring it in, which is nice. And the other reason is if you're catching the ball away from your body, you're catching the ball away from the defender. If you let the ball travel in on you, the defender's got a chance to reach in, break that up. And so that's something that I I don't love about Tylen Wallace. Like he was fantastic. He if you're looking at if you're looking at like analytics, he broke out uh, early, broke out as a sophomore. I mean, he had a great uh, 2018 where he had 86 catches, he had 1400 yards. Like he was really good. Uh he was good again in 2019. He opted out, uh, but he also had an injury in 2019. So you you're, you're He's kind of the forgotten man. I think he's being dropped in in uh, rankings because you didn't see him, and and uh, he, I think he's a good player. I think he's going to sneak up on people.
0: Can you square the the two things um, you're saying? He lets the ball, ball in and kind of body catcher, but at the beginning we were talking about how he was good at at the uh, high pointing. Yeah, so so, was so that different types really. Yeah. How he's boxing out, but not with the hands.
1: Different types of throws. So, so when you're talking down the field, you're talking high point because that's a ball that ends up with, with more arc. Uh, but when he's going over the middle, uh, and you have the, you have the, basically you're, you're a line drive throw from the quarterback to the receiver. He lets the ball travel in on him, which, you know, causes some issues. So it's again, it's, it's depth of target and type of throw. Uh, kind of dictate that. And you like to see a guy be able to high point and also be able to get the ball, you know, get his arms extended and, and not alligator arm catches uh, across the middle.
0: Okay. That makes sense to me now because, yeah, the sooner across the middle, they can grab it, they can pull it in, they can make a move, avoid a tackle. But yeah, that little extra time, that's when they're going to get smashed. Okay. That makes sense to me. Thank you. <laughs> so those three... Um, You pretty much would put them in the order of Diami. And then is it Tylen or Tillen?
1: It's Diami Brown, Tylen Wallace, and then Terrace Marshall. That's the order that I would have them. Okay. So, yeah, Tylen.
0: Tylen. All right. So there's those three. That helps a lot uh, for, <laughs> for me to try to, to figure these guys out. I did kind of gather, I was liking Diami um, between them. So I guess I. Confirmation bias. That's great. Uh, I just got him. <laughs> I got him at, at the eighth pick in the second round uh, yeah. in, in a mock recently, and I was pretty happy about that. So, all right. Now, you had, I had mentioned Amon Ra St. Brown, and then you wanted to add Elijah uh, Moore, the other Moore. Yep. So, yes. tell me a bit about these guys.
1: So, we'll start with amon Ross St. Brown and then and then uh we'll work our way to the cherry on top I think. So amon Ross St. Brown, USC guy, uh 6'1, 195. So a little bigger than than you would expect because he is a slot receiver. Uh so so he's a bigger a bigger slot type receiver. Um the the things that I'm seeing that I like uh about amon Ross St. Brown is that he does excel at underneath routes He breaks off slants and out routes with really, really nice precision. Uh, St. Brown is pro-ready on the sideline. And what I mean by that is in college, you only have to get one foot down. Amon Ross St. Brown already is working on getting that second foot down that you need in the NFL, so that toe tap on the sideline. And and so you don't always see that with college players because they're not necessarily – you know thinking ahead to to making that play in the NFL but he's already practicing that and St. Brown seems to enjoy physical play but uh and and I like I like the way he gets after it as a run blocker and he's also really good I think he gets better when he's jammed at the line because he invites that contact like he's a really big uh physical guy for a slot player uh I think the biggest hurdles though for him Seem to be centered around desire, which kind of stinks. Because if you remember his brother, Equinemius, that was the same thing. Like it was, it was the, the million dollar physique, the, the you know, all of the talent and just the, the 10 cent head. And and I'm worried that Saint that Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be similar. A lot of times you'll see him give up on roots during games, and it drives me absolutely crazy it it made Keaton Slovis the quarterback have to improvise or throw the ball away when he's expecting Amon Ross St. Brown to have worked his way open and St. Brown just kind of shuts it down um he also will get pushed off routes once he's away from the line of scrimmage so like early on in a route he loves that contact but if he gets a free release and then gets kind of bumped they can, they can guide him where they want to instead of having him run the route that he wants. And then the other thing that I don't like about St. Brown is against zone, and this is something that I really look for in slot receivers. I think, I think being able to beat zone coverage out of the slot is really important because you see a lot of junk defenses in the NFL. You see a lot of man on the outside and some type of zone on the inside, uh, especially where they're going to, like, uh, nickel and dime defenses where you're seeing a lot more uh, corners and and like smaller players. Uh St. Brown has a bad habit of getting too close to a zone defender. And then he just kind of orbits them instead of getting into a hole in the zone and, and sitting down where he needs to be to give the quarterback a throwing lane. So zone defenses end up being cheats. So you're playing Uh, spaces instead of players and you're and you're essentially covering the player in your area so because they're cheats you can there are holes in them they're they're basically throwing lanes and and as a as a receiver especially a slot receiver you have to be able to identify those holes get to them and then have the the wherewithal to stop and present that target and i think he struggles with that
0: yes uh that makes sense i think I did not realize... I knew he was a little bit bigger guy, but I did not realize how much he did work in the slot. Um, All right, so that's Amin Ra. Yeah, that is odd when you talk about his his kind of motivation. I, I wonder, have we ever seen a case where some of these players, you know that especially the ones that just know that they're good, do we ever see a case where sometimes they're just done with college and they're ready to move on and then they're able to turn it back on in the NFL or is this kind of a systemic thing that just continues
1: well i mean i i don't i don't know i mean it's it's one of those things where it it feels like if you're if you're going to be motivated to play football you're going to be motivated wherever you are uh you know you just have that kind of interior uh self-motivation and sometimes i think i'm on ross saint brown loses it it's really it's really tough this year was incredibly tough to to kind of evaluate because not only you have obviously covid and and everything with the lockdowns but the the teams didn't play the same number of games you know not every player played you had opt-outs so this was a really weird year and uh you're a lot of people got really hyped up about st brown because he had four touchdowns in a quarter on a nationally televised game so that that sort of thing to me because i watch so many like i'll watch and you probably heard me talk about this on the dummies but like I watch between eight and 12 games of every player. And I start with their early stuff and I'll watch, you know, two or three games early and two or three games in the middle of their career. And then, you know, the rest of it kind of filling out to that eight to 10 to 12 uh, with their, the the most recent season. And so, you know, a, a four touchdown game, like whatever, like that's fine. Like that happened. It's great. I, I, I you know, I have notes on it, but, it's not coloring my entire evaluation and i think some people get caught up in you know whoa that was amazing and i said yeah but that's not what he does all the time i want to look i want to see what a player does consistently uh, as opposed to what he does for highlights like highlights you can dream on but consistency is is what you're putting in your lineup every week
0: all right speaking of dreams i want to hear <laughs> what you have to say about leisure
1: Elijah Moore is another one of those slot players. Uh, I think he can be a volume driver, though. He's got the best hands for my money in this class. Uh, And he is very, very good with that transition from the catch to a runner. And he was so good as a runner this year that Ole Miss actually used him against South Carolina as a running back for the first half of the game, and he had like 50 yards on the ground. Like He's he's that type of player where out of the slot, if he catches the ball in space, he can make things happen with his legs, and I really, really like that. And the best part about his game, we just talked about Amon Ross St. Brown's lack of, of ability against zone. Man, Elijah Moore eats zones up. And he's got that little bit of uh, – I mean, Justin Jefferson did this last year, and I don't want to compare the two because they're different players, but uh, Elijah Moore is really good underneath the zone, but he also reads when when the safety starts pulling up, he reads that really well, and he will make a move to get over the top of a zone, which you don't often see from slot players. And, and so you know, those things I absolutely, absolutely love – about Elijah Moore, uh, there there are warts. Like, look, he he struggles against press man, but he's not going to be pressed very much. They're going to use him from the slot, my guess. Um, and he also suffers sometimes from lapses in discipline. So he'll commit penalties sometimes at inopportune times. He had a he had a really bad offsides. Uh, they they ended up it was like a fourth and two, and obviously he's not going to be involved in the play. And he just, you know, like false start and like, man, like what, like what's going on. And the last thing I think, and probably the biggest deficiency for Moore is he doesn't block. Like, I don't think he believes in it. It's just, it's like, no, I'm sorry. I got a religious exemption from blocking. I'm not going to do it. So, uh, you know, that a little bit of pause, but, Again, fantasy football, a guy on the inside, running out of the slot, driving a lot of targets, has the ability to put up yards after the catch with his legs. I, I like that. And and so Elijah Moore is my f- number five uh, player. And you're going to hear a little bit of buzz because he just ran a pretty quick 40-yard dash, so so more people are going to be on him than were before.
0: So this is, goes back to what when we were talking earlier about he's not necessarily going to be the NFL's wide receiver five, but from a fantasy perspective, his his upside is there to, to bring him up to that that point for you.
1: Yeah, yep, exactly.
0: Okay. All right. I am going to have to listen to that again and um, think about it some more and put it in context. I, I, Cause I'm looking at my spreadsheets and my numbers and everything. And I love being able to put it into in into context, some of the things you're saying, and I'm hearing some of the things I was seeing that I, I really just don't make sense to me. I'm looking at it and I'm like, why is this guy, why is this not like this? You know, he's supposed to be this. So the number should be like this and it's not what's, what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I've had you for a while, but if you're gonna, if you can indulge me. Oh yeah. I wanted to talk to you about this idea, and it was something that came up a while back, and you replied when I was asking about running backs coming out of college these days. And maybe I'm just a little bitter because I've been burned too many times by the oh, I don't know, Duke Johnson, Justice Hill, <laughs> Jarek McKinnon's, you know. Um Anyone who knows this podcast, this is this is a Austin Eckler podcast, but <laughs> they don't come along very often, and you can easily waste a lot of uh, equity chasing those <laughs> in Dynasty and only to have them sitting on your bench. So I've been looking at it, and I kind of wondered to myself one day, thinking about especially how guys like Jonathan Taylor – had like no receiving hardly in in college. And uh, then we have other guys like AJ Dillon, which doesn't look like it's going to work I was a little hopeful of something, not the 250 carries, but you know, of something if, if Aaron <laughs> Jones didn't re sign. But I, w- I was more interested to see with him if we saw some, uh, uh, he only had a few catches, but a couple of those were kind of impressive. I'm not a film guy, but it seemed like okay maybe he's not as bad of a receiver as his college stats. And I did this whole thing where I took a bunch of college stats um, and lined them up next to each other. And, you know, all the guys who look like they're good receivers in college, you know, and it was guys like Ronald Jones and Sonny Michelle and these guys and Josh (laughs) Jacobs, who I was told all are going to be good receivers. And in the NFL, they don't do it. And meanwhile – melvin gordon and jonathan taylor are the guys catching all the passes and so i had the theory okay what happens if we don't chase we stop chasing these little guys and maybe maybe the nfl is on the verge of figuring out that the running backs coming out today are all just playing better at catching the ball than they were a decade ago and i don't mean route running and all those little things that can still separate true receiving backs. But what if, and I compare it to the NBA, how we've got all these big guys who I don't even know exactly when it happened because I wasn't following NBA for a little while there, but it seems clear that over the past 10 years, suddenly seven footers are shooting three pointers regularly and making them at a good percentage. And it seems like the NBA I don't know if the NBA figured this out and or college big men just figured out that they should be practicing their three pointers, chicken or the egg. I don't know which came first, probably a little bit of both because the NBA had to actually implement it as well. Similar to the NFL, at what point are these teams going to stop chasing the Justice Hill guys and start drafting the guys who are really good runners on the ground with the chance that they have the receiving upside. Because I'm tired of chasing satellite and receiving backs with the hope of of early down running upside, only to see that never happen. But meanwhile, the big receivers that are in there do seem to sometimes get receiving opportunity even if I don't think they should be getting it I'm looking at you Carlos Hyde and Leonard Fournette so (laughs) all that said you know I'm just basically saying maybe the chance that x percent chance that we were hoping the receiving back would become an every down back maybe the chance of the every down back also becoming a receiving back has now become a better chance your critique I, I like it no I like your theory but I think that you're still
1: quite a bit out ahead of the NFL so so I think you're right but I don't think we're there yet and and the phenomenon you're seeing in the NBA with a three-point shot it, to me is really similar to Major League Baseball embracing taking pitches to increase on base percentage and OBP, and then to drive up pitch counts, so you're getting into bullpens. It, it's it's being pushed by analytics like that, and I will fully embrace that. Like I, I'm I'm there, I'm hip. Uh, I understand that you can tell things with numbers and and kind of glean advantages that nobody else is seeing if they're just strictly looking at tape. But the MLB and the NBA have been much quicker. Uh, to come to terms with, with analytics and, or or maybe, and maybe it wasn't that they were quicker to come to terms with it, but maybe it's easier to quantify because your interactions in baseball, it's essentially a one, one V one, like you have your pitcher and your hitter in basketball. It's, it's a five on five. So there aren't as many moving pieces. Once you start having uh, 11 guys on each side of, of the ball it starts to get really complicated in being able to predict things and being able to analyze things and
0: sample sizes are so much bigger in those sports.
1: Oh, of course. I mean, 162 games in baseball, 82 games in basketball. Like it's, there's, there's no, no doubt that it's, it's easier to quantify those. And so I think that those sports also attracted the, the minds that were doing analytics sooner i mean you had bill james with in the 70s doing stuff in baseball that i mean where where he wrote um oh, well i can't even remember what it was He's like he was a sabermetrician, and he started the oh it was the baseball prospectus and so, so like it was that whole thing that eventually got steam and and um uh, billy bean in oakland read the baseball prospectus and that was that kind of stem money ball you're seeing a lot with the with the nba where golden state really embraced the analytics and and the three-point shot is actually more valuable than taking a contested uh p- play out of the post and so like you, you have all these things there's still a huge pushback and mistrust and misunderstanding of analytics in the nfl When you hear it on broadcasts all the time. You hear it from the guys who used to play and they're the old guard and now they're on CBS and they're saying, "Uh oh, analytics. And it's like, no, that's not like analytics didn't tell him to miss the field goal or analytics didn't tell him to not get the fourth down. What they're saying is, you have a better chance of winning if you do X. It doesn't say you will win if you do X. It says you have a better chance, and if you do this 100 times, you will succeed more often than if you do the other thing. And and I think that that ends up being the big pushback is that that doesn't happen in the NFL yet. I mean, it's even Bill Belichick, who does embrace analytics, said stats are for losers, like throw people off the scent. And and so you have this real resistance to this change. So I think you're right. I think that and, and uh, you're also seeing seven-on-seven seven played a lot, which it doesn't involve running backs. So you have high school kids playing seven-on-seven, seven, but you have running backs playing receiver now. So you're having better pass catchers. I think you're seeing better receivers come into the NFL. Uh, currently, like if I'm looking at types of players – Obviously, you want a bell cow, which uh, you know, you hear that thrown off a lot. To me, it's somebody like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, it, it's, it's that top four running backs that are there right now, a guy who can have over 200 carries and catch over 50 balls. There aren't very many of those. That's the, that's the guy I want first. Then I want what I call a pass catcher plus. So it's a guy who comes into the NFL not as a, a number one back but has potential to carry the ball, but is a very good receiver. So he's getting receiving work on his team, and then if there's an injury, he will come in and assume carries because I think that's more valuable uh, overall because I think if you have a receiving back, you can plug him in. If you have a backup running back who's not getting carries, it's really tough. But if you have – I mean, look – JD McKissick, uh, Naheem Hines, Trey Edmonds were, were all in the top 24. Gio Bernard was 26. Like the, That type of player, even Antonio Gibson last year, was not billed as a bell cow. He was a guy who was a pass catcher, but had the ability to come in and be a three down back in a pinch, and he did it. Uh, and so there's that, that pass catcher plus. Then I think your your satellite back and your workhorse back, which a workhorse back is a guy uh, to me like Jordan Howard, uh, like like three years ago, Jordan Howard, you know, where you're not going to get any pass catching work, but you're going to get 200 carries. He's going to be good for you, but he's not going to be great for you. Those type of guys, you look at situation, you know, if it's a satellite back who is Naheem Hines, great, I want that if it's a satellite back who is you know behind i don't know it doesn't even matter like if it if it's if he's behind somebody who's who's catching the ball and he's not going to get you know 60 70 targets 80 targets 90 targets then that's not somebody i'm looking for but i i think that those two really are dependent on situation i think you're right everybody can catch the ball in the nfl I mean, they're all great athletes. They're, they're tremendous. I mean, you saw Leonard Fournette uh, in 2019 where everybody was gone from the backfield. TJ Yeldon went to Buffalo, and it was just Lenny, and he got 100 targets. He had 70 catches, and he was like the RB3. Like, he can do that. Uh, when, when I talk – when I look at running backs and I look uh, – in college, I look for guys who have 20-plus catches in a season. Not predictive – not something that I'm like, oh, he's going to be a pass catcher. But I think that the NFL is still not a bastion of creativity when it comes to coaching. And I think they want to see guys who have done it before they put them in a situation. You're going to get situations where they're like old Mother Hubbard and, and it's only James Robinson in the cupboard. Like, you're going to get that. Uh, you got that with Melvin Gordon when Danny Woodhead went down. Uh, you know, his, his – I think it was his second year in the league – and Melvin Gordon was great. Like, that can happen, but I, I much prefer the guy who is the pass catcher and can do that as opposed to the runner who maybe, if all the pass catchers disappear, will get thrown into that situation. But I think, I think the NFL will get there. I, th- I think you're right. Like, I think you're onto something, but we're not there yet.
0: And I think maybe what I'm also chasing is a little bit higher upside – than a a flex running back that i can throw in and you like you mentioned jd mckissick right that's perfect that's a perfect example because i know that he can go in there and have a great game and he can get me points but he's not going to give me a james robinson season he's not even he's not even gonna give me that leonard fournette or that that season that, that that cj Beathard is just dropping passes to Carlos Hyde every other you know snap he's not gonna give me that kind of season and so at a certain point once you get past the the running backs that have proven they're receiving and I think that you your point your critique there is very valuable that the NFL is is not necessarily on board they want to see it right um it's just yeah. like just like when i was talking to peter we last couple off seasons when we talk about the combine we, we've always come to the conclusion the combine only matters because the nfl thinks it matters and then it doesn't matter any more than that um it's why in my all my fancy metrics and everything after the nfl draft draft i drop out the combine information out of my score because it's already in the score it's called draft capital and so it is valuable that the nfl sees it and so i guess your point maybe the one of my takeaway i'm hearing is before we skip right from the obvious you know bell cows um to the guys i'm talking about there's still a group in there that have profiles that show that they can be every down backs, uh, but they've also proven that receiving. Guys like maybe Aaron Jones. I'm thinking of Aaron Jones, thinking of David Johnson. These kind of guys that proved high volume receiving work in college, but they also have that every down capability. Even if they don't quite always get used Aaron Jones right away, as often as we want, they can prove it and earn it. Uh, or if opportunity arises, they can take it. But even then somebody, I'm saying, go ahead. Even somebody
1: like Jonathan Taylor, where people last year were saying, oh, Jonathan Taylor's not a receiver. He had 21 catches last year or the year before for, for Wisconsin. It's not like Jonathan Taylor was a was a stiff. So So I'm looking at that going, okay, now he's got that check in the box that the NFL has seen him catch 20 balls in college. They've seen him be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. That means that a, a guy like Jonathan Taylor, if he catches 30 or 40 balls and gets that 250, man, that is an absolute – That that's, what, top eight easy. And does he have the upside of McCaffrey and Kamara? No. But is he in that next tier where, like, Ezekiel Elliott is? Hell yeah, and I'll take that.
0: And I think my point is that, okay, after those first two groups, the obvious guys, the receiving uh, upside, but proven every down players in college still, there's a group of guys who are smaller, who are just always, unfairly or not, pegged to just be these receiving backs in their transition to the NFL. And I feel like for too many years we've been chasing those guys, and I'm kind of ready to say, you know what? (laughs) I I'm not going to chase from from the numbers and what I'm looking at, I'm not chasing Jarrett Patterson. You know, in this year's class, looks like he's got a ton of volume, but he's he's too small at least according to the NFL. Right. And and maybe that's not fair because maybe he did prove every down work. So maybe I'm thinking more like a Puka Williams, also a small guy receiving. Maybe instead I want to go after someone a little bigger who just has that chance. Um and I'm not entirely sure who that would be in this class. Um but I'm thinking even in, in the past classes I'm it wouldn't have, it would be unfair of me to claim James Robinson because I think he's in that receiver plus. Yeah, he uh, had
1: 21 21 catches as yeah. a junior.
0: His receiving ability actually stood out in my early, you know, rookie work last season. And if I just stuck to my pre-draft, you know, (laughs) metric, he would have been my RB six. Yep. You know, but then again, I was looking at comparing last year and this year, and last year was just stupid easy. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of a different, different uh, story. This year, Uh, this year I'm looking at it, and I'm like, why is Najee Harris on the same metric that gave me perfect ranks last year, like running back ten this year? It doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's because of his early years work, Um, but to your point, he showed a lot of receiving work this past year. He, yeah, he is old quote unquote old, but, uh, I think the NFL is going to like that. And so I have to like it too, <laughs> but who are some of these? Once we get past the, the obvious ones, Najee Harris, um, am I wrong in thinking Etienne kind of falls into that upside receiver plus category as you gave it?
1: Yeah, I think he's I think he's Ronald Jones with a better pedigree of receiving. Uh, they like they're very similar players to me. And and the the downside of Ronald Jones coming out, at least for me, was that he was not a pass catcher. He was a a space back without the ability to get himself in space. And Etienne does that. Uh, Etienne worked really hard uh, the last couple years on being able to catch the ball. He's still not perfect. He still is a little bit uh, suspect in like that second and a half, two seconds between when the ball leaves uh, Trevor Lawrence's hand and gets to him. But once he's got it, he he does catch the ball, and man, he's really good after it with you know in space. So yeah, I think he's another one of those. To me, there's a real clear top tier with two guys. Uh, I think it's I think it's Javante Williams and Najee Harris, and then I think that. Uh, ETN is in that next tier, right there, and I've got Kenny Gainwell there. I, I know that not everybody does, but the combination of his ability to catch the ball incredibly well, be able to split outside, he does a lot of things that you can do with Alvin Kamara, albeit a little smaller. Like again, he came in at two o five, I think two o two. Like we're, like it was it was heavier than we thought uh and and so we're excited that he's above 200 still not he's not 215 he's not that bell cow pro you know profile but that's that second tier with etn and and kenny gainwell and then you kind of get into the lightning round which is i think what you were what you were alluding to is man this this class it's really funny even leading leading up to this year, and even still this year, I, I hear a lot of people, a lot smarter than I am, uh, tout this class's depth. But like, I, I don't think it's as deep as like. There are a lot of names that you've been hearing, but there aren't a lot of guys that I'm really excited about either in uh, wide receivers. I think there are five. I mean, you you can stretch it to seven if you really, really squint uh, receivers and and there are like three and a half or four running backs and then it gets really, really nebulous.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong. There's another name in there that I think fits a very similar profile to Javante Williams and those guys, uh, maybe similar to like Cam Akers last year. I'm really liking what I'm seeing on the, the screen at least for Jamar Jefferson. So he would be one of those first two categories we've been talking.
1: He's, he's right on that cusp. Um, He's, he's that, that the beginning of the third tier, the end of the second tier for me, I've got him at five. And Jamar Jefferson has absolutely incredible acceleration. Uh, He's an inside zone runner. If he ends up in San Francisco, then, you know, we're going to throw a party he's that type of player he he can one cut and just absolutely go and he is good enough as a pass catcher uh to be interesting where you know he's he's more of a runner than a pass catcher but he did uh put up enough receiving work he had 25 catches as a freshman uh last year in a shortened season uh he had he had nine catches but but you know, he, he he can do it. You've seen it before. The problems with Jefferson are that he does not ad-lib at all. So if the hole that he thinks is supposed to be there is not there, he just does not have the ability to improvise. He hesitates and is in a lot of trouble. So if, if a team can open up a hole, you know, with that – so uh, when we talk about a zone run – uh, the the line blocks kind of as a unit so we'll they're blocking to the right and so he he has kind of the ability to go find that hole and go if that hole is not there it is ugly and the other thing that that just gives me a little bit of hesitation on jamar jefferson is that he loves to initiate contact which is nice in college especially when you're playing at oregon state you know it 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 was the same thing that I was really excited about John Kelly. John Kelly would absolutely truck people. And if you're listening to this and you're on Twitter or have the ability to get on Twitter, go search the GIF, just type in John Kelly in that GIF bar. And it's going to be like the third one. It's not the, not the white Senator. It's the, it's the, the guy in the orange Tennessee Jersey, just absolutely burying two defenders. Uh, and, and, Jamar Jefferson does that, but I think that in the NFL, that's going to get you in trouble because the guys you're initiating contact with are all, uh, you know, all-state linebackers. They're all NFL-caliber players, and and that can get you in some trouble.
0: Okay, and I'm looking through uh, my my list here, and there was the, I think I found the name I couldn't think of when I was listing guys like Puka, Williams, and uh, Jarrett Patterson uh as opposed to them a guy that maybe fits the category that i'm thinking of is someone like stevie scott who's a bigger guy more prototypical you're thinking he's going to be this one thing but what if he can be more
1: yeah i think that when you look at a profile like stevie scott you're worried about um a player it's kind of a non-traditional track like he's he's been in school i think it's five years i think he transferred and so that you're, you're starting to look at uh the type of profile like you had last year with like was it i can't remember if it was zach moss or if it was um shoot i can't remember who the other guy was that that had that same it was a very very similar profile. Where you don't, you know, you talk about um, not wanting a player who's older as a running back. I think that that you can kind of get around that with Najee Harris because he's a fourth year and he played behind uh, some some really stud running backs. When when you're talking Stevie Scott at at Indiana, like uh, that that really makes me nervous um uh, about that that type of profile and i, I don't mean to like knock your um uh, knock your guy but like when i see that even before i get to the film when i start looking at that i'm like okay
0: I, maybe i'm maybe i'm reading something that i i don't i didn't think he was that old i thought he was about same age as like javante williams jamar jefferson oh. he's going to be 20 almost 21
1: Oh, maybe you're right. Oh, who am I looking at? I'm looking at somebody else.
0: Uh, three years at Indiana, you had the right school, so that's yep. you no, already I... ahead of me. And he broke your 20 uh, receptions rule as a sophomore with 26 and 11 games. Yep. Um, but that target share is not where we would typically think. Six and a half, you know, average, I think it is. And or maybe that was, that's even his best. That's his best season this past season as a junior, 6.5 receiving a target share. That's that's not much. And so he's not going to be drafted with a team thinking at 6'2", 231 pounds. That's that's college profiler. I haven't... I'm this next week really kind of trying to get data from all these pro days like you were talking about, but we're in the middle of it. It's a weird year. But just it's that's going to be close enough to give you a picture that he's this is a big dude (laughs) this is a big man but what if he can catch
1: too (laughs) yeah no that's i mean that that's that's the type of profile you're looking for i'm 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 trying to figure out who i was thinking of now it makes me mad maybe it was maybe it was marable
0: uh yeah that that may have been marable
1: that's that's gonna be what it was. I had Marable in my uh, head.
0: Stevenson is also up there, same age as Harris. Najee.
1: No, yeah, well, because Ramondre went to uh, JUCO.
0: Yeah. So I mean, those are the kind of guys I'm trying to think of, and I'm and again, I'm maybe focusing more on the upside, and I agree that you know. Uh, Jarrett Patterson or Puka Williams may become one of these these JD McKissick's guys who can come in, give you points <laughs> in the PPR league. I know we all need it. All you zero running back guys out there, but uh, <laughs> I want upside. I want a guy that I can have on my team, and if he gets the opportunity, he can actually be a every week start, not just a flex. And if he doesn't, I can drop him because <laughs> I'm tired of carrying these guys on my bench. So in in this class, though, the those type of
1: players that I'm looking for are kind of the again the pass catcher plus. So the tweeners. So I'm looking for somebody like Michael Carter, who yeah, he's a little smaller, so he's five eight, but he came in uh, weight wise pretty good. I think he was two o two at the Senior Bowl. Uh, real good, uh, real good pass catcher can run inside. He's got that. To me, he's slippery. So that was something I said about Kareem Hunt. So, so he would get to a hole, and all of a sudden, guys would lose him, and he would come out the other side. And you're like, "Oh no, Michael Carter's over here now. We we got to go get him." Uh, he's got speed to the outside, but not just speed, but pace. And that's something I really like in in a faster running back, where if you can if you can slow down, but have that burst to speed back up. You can really mess with the defender and their angle of pursuit, and Michael Carter does that. Uh, he's also, like I said, he's a great receiver and he's good in short spaces. He was even a return man, which is something that you look for, especially in receivers like slot receivers, because you get that short area quickness and that that make them miss in a phone booth. Michael Carter's got that. Uh, I don't think though he's always patient, and I don't think NFL teams are going to look at him and go, "He's big enough to be." The the Bell Cow, but I think you're gonna see him be the pass catcher, and it's it's the again, it's the TJ Yeldon uh, corollary where where you had seven weeks of TJ Yeldon in Jacksonville, so 2018, where he was the running back six full stop for seven weeks because Fournette went down. That's the type of player I'm looking for, and I know like you're looking for that the the James Robinson you're looking for that next tier where you're getting the home run like I'm looking to pay a little less and get the like the double and then get out of him because you could trade TJ Eldon like once he had that season the next year everybody was like oh TJ Eldon is going to be a top 24 back ah get out of him it was the same thing I mean you, you see that kind of over and over uh Gio Bernard was that way where you had you had Jeremy Hill and then you had Gio Bernard, and then all of a sudden Gio Bernard took over that role when Jeremy Hill got hurt, and then Gio Bernard kind of disappeared and went back to the pass-catching role. But you had a year where Gio Bernard was a legit running back, and, and those are the types of players, those pass-catcher plus. Kylan Hill is one this year. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, for as bad as you know the wheels fell off that train, he's another guy who has – Head bell cow workload in college is probably being looked at in the NFL as being a a pass catcher, a spellback. But if somebody in front of him got hurt, man, there's there's so much meat on the bone.
0: So you do agree with me because you've been taking advantage of us poor saps with this strategy already. See, it, it what's the pass? It's the pass catcher plus. And then,
1: so to me, running backs are a real fungible commodity. Like, I, I want to yes. get in and out of them quickly. So even, even with somebody uh, last year like Jonathan Taylor did so well last year. He's going as the running back two. Like DLF has him at running back two in startups. I am going to trade him so fast, it's not funny, and, and get somebody. I mean, you may be able to get somebody like Justin Jefferson and a little bit on top. So so that's the thing with with running backs is I would rather get out too early and get the next one because there are more coming. And there are especially these types, you know, Michael Carter and and Kylan Hill and and Chuba Hubbard, like there are more of those guys coming every year. I mean, there were a bunch of them last year. Uh, Even James Robinson was one of those guys last year. I, I remember two weeks before or three weeks before the season started, coming on the dynasty dummies podcast and saying, you need to go right now to your waiver wire and pick up James Robinson. And, and two weeks before that, I was saying, you know, in the fifth round, grab James Robinson. Like that was, that was one of the players that, that we targeted because he was the pass catcher. Plus he was a guy who showed it in college, has the ability to be a three down back in a pinch. Those are the players I'm looking for. So like, I'm not actively going after Naheem Hines type. The you know, the, the straight pass catcher, the guy who's not gonna come in and ever be an every down back until all of those pass catcher pluses are are gone. So it's it, you know, it's it's tiered. It's it's an approach where like you're looking at the guys who can who can do everything, then you're looking at the guy who can pass catch and then run then you're looking down here at the guys who either can run or pass catch. And, and those are really situation dependent. So, so yeah, like it's – and, and the, the, the really crazy thing about all this is uh, everything that you said at the beginning of this segment, in four five five years, four years, you're going to be spot on. And the NFL is going to have caught up with this. And then we're going to be looking for the the guys in college who are are you know big and carry the ball because the NFL is going to use them in the passing game. We're not there yet, but it'll happen. I mean, it's 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 just a matter of I mean, you you see you know, the, the NFL is a copycat league, and you see these teams, especially. I mean, you're you're a Patriots guy, like. Belichick gets out on the vanguard of these things. I think Miami is going to be on the vanguard of these things, um, and and San Francisco sometimes is uh, is you know at the forefront of 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 this. And Andy Reid is at the forefront. You know, you see these teams drive change. And if you're watching in three or four years, the NFL is all going to be doing what they're doing. They're going to be doing the next thing. You know, it's it's Belichick going back to the big uh, you know, the going, big lineup, the, the tight four, ends three,
0: and- when everyone's three, four, just so the defense is different than what uh, well, everyone else yeah. is seeing. And, and
1: yeah, and like everybody right now is, is, again, we talked about this earlier, but everyone's going to the, the dime defenses, bringing in, you know, smaller backs, smaller linebackers, or, or more corners. Belichick's going back to the big tight ends. They're going to run the ball down people's throat. I mean, like that's, that's, you just, you, it's a chess match but it's a chess match where you're making moves three or four years before the other teams make moves to counter it and so if you're looking ahead if you're seeing that which you are obviously i mean if you're thinking about what we just talked about you're you're ahead of the game
0: and i guess the profiles i'm thinking about are guys who are going to be getting that consistent. Not I'm not hoping for a TJ yelled in. I'm not hoping for Fournette to get hurt. I want a guy who's already taking the early downs work and then he can also get the receiving work. So that's why I'm kind of claiming James Robinson, even though I know he was a really good receiver. But even uh David Montgomery this past year, he fell into the situation where suddenly he's getting the receiving work on top of the early downs work. And I've already mentioned Carlos Hyde, so... Those are the kind of guys, that's what I'm saying. Like he's getting assured work, and I don't have to hope for any additional situation or injury to suddenly open it up. But you're right. You should be flipping those guys either way. You've already you're ahead of me. You already knew about this. You've been profiting <laughs> off of it. I'm on to you now. I see how it is.
1: <laughs> I'm just a dummy, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had a
0: friend of mine and about that Belichick thing, I had a friend of mine when they're making all these signings and everything, he's like, this is so unusual. It's not like, you know, it's not like them at all. And I'm like, well, tell me what's normal for Belichick. Yeah. I'm like normal. (laughs) He doesn't have a normal. That's what's normal. He's just always going to do whatever is new and different and unexpected. That is it. And so, and it goes through cycles. And so, yeah, if most college, most NFL coaches, don't have the career and the lifespan of Belichick. And so when you're thinking sample size, we're just, people are just looking back six years and saying, oh, he hasn't done anything like this in six years. I'm like, okay, but go back 12. (laughs) And, and he did, you know, or 13, you know? So, well, well,
1: I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's back to the beginning of tom brady's career where you know you build that defense and you and you build the the offense that is ball control and and you shorten the game and and that's like that's what they're doing and then when everybody went big to combat that he started going effectively zero rb so you have the 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 back out of the backfield who can catch the ball you have you know welker out of the slot and then you have edelman come in right behind him and and you start Basically running the ball through the air where nobody can combat that. Teams get small to combat that. And here we are going back to the big. I mean, it's a, it's a pendulum, man. You, yep. but you, before you just got
0: to before yeah. Shane Vereen. It was yeah. Marshall
1: Falk. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. Nope. All right. That's appropriate to uh, finish out on some Patriots talk between us two. <laughs> uh, it's it's getting a little late. I've kept you way too long already. Uh, I'm gonna have have to have you back here after the the NFL draft. I'm sure at this point, but and, and talk some more. Thank you, uh, Zach. Again, where can the people find you? Everything else.
1: Uh, I am at Tacit Assassin Thirteen on Twitter. Uh, you can find me over at the DFPN at work. We're the only at work in town, so it's easy to find. And uh, I record uh, occasionally on the Dynasty Dummies podcast. So uh, you can check that out. J Mike uh, at J. Mike Check and I are uh, still rolling through some rookies. He tells me we have to talk about quarterbacks and tight ends. So I guess that'll probably be the next show. But then after that, we're gonna get into some of these other guys. We're gonna talk Stevie Scott. We're gonna talk Elijah Mitchell. We're gonna probably talk Kadarius Tony and Nico Collins and, and Jalen Darden. Some of the guys that you know maybe you haven't heard much about. So we'll we'll get there. And if there's anybody that we missed, shoot us a shoot us a, a text or a, a tweet or, or a DM or whatever. And uh and we'll we'll hit them too because uh we, we like to we, we like to have a, a little crowdsourcing, you know.
0: <laughs> all right, so it's the third round, right? Of course, all the big names are gone. Harris, Gainwell, Jefferson, Williams, um Chuba Hubbard, even <laughs> right, Jamar Jefferson. I say him already. All these guys are gone. Maybe even maybe even Michael Carter is gone. It's the third let's say seventh pick in the third round. <laughs> Who's the running back you're taking?
1: Oh man. Um, is, is Kylan Hill still there? Or is he gone? He's still there. Kylan is where I'm headed. Then I, I'm, I'm going to go get Kylan Hill uh, and, and hope that, uh, that, that he walks into a job uh, like I, I, you mentioned Jarrett Patterson earlier. I really like Jarrett Patterson. He is not a pass catcher at all. He had zero, zero catches this past year. Uh, and and like I love the way he runs, but give me that pass catching upside, give me the Kylan Hill, and and let me hope that he walks into a situation where he catches passes early and then. Uh, picks up a little uh, a little bit more uh, of the carries
0: there you have it kylan hill middle of the third (laughs) we'll see thanks again and uh, be sure to check out his twitter and ours follow along with all these other mock drafts and uh, we'll see you next time